Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre in London, based at Holy Trinity Brompton. Mike Lloyd and Jane Williams join me, Graham Tomlin, in talking about theology, life, God, and just about everything else. Well, hello, and uh, welcome to another GodPod. It's Graham Tomlin here, and with me today is Mike. It's a rather croaky Mike, I'm afraid. Have you lost your voice? Um, not... Enough <laughs> for, the, for the sake of uh, yeah. the, the listeners, I fear. You've but, still um, got enough voice to speak. Enough voice to it's interject. Not going to stop you, is it? I, I fear not. Uh, we also have Jane. Good morning. It's nice to have you back, Graham. Thank you very much. It's very nice to be back. Uh, we also have another special guest today, who is uh, Nikki Gumbel. Hello. It's lovely to be with you. Yeah, Nikki, as um, I'm sure you know, is uh, vicar here at Holy Trinity Brompton, and um, has been very involved in developing the Alpha Course over the last. 10, 15 years or so. So, um, Nikki, it's great to um, to have you here, just to to ask a few questions about yeah about Alpha and HTB. Um, I mean, first first of all, I mean, you about a year ago you became vicar here at HTB, which I guess is a different kind of role from what you were in before. Have you have you found your life has changed a lot since then? Yes, uh, in some ways it has. I mean, I, I've always been involved in the pastoral side of the church. Uh, I, I think sometimes people thought that. I was involved in Alpha, and Sandy Miller was involved in running um, HTB, and I was I was involved in in, mm. in Alpha. But actually, both of us were involved in both all the way along. Mm. Sandy always headed up both HTB and Alpha, mm. and I always was involved primarily at HTB, but also mm. with Alpha. So, to some extent, the role hasn't changed, although obviously the responsibilities have. Yeah, and you're enjoying it so far. I'm loving it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> Why do you think Alpha has become the main evan- evangelistic tool? It's, I mean, it's completely astonished us what's happened. I mean, we never, we didn't write a course to be run by churches all around the world. And if we had, we would probably never have come up with Alpha. Mm. Uh, we, uh, we came up with a course that was designed for people here, um, that worked for people here. And um, we've been just completely astonished at, at the fact that it's gone to other places as well. I think um, there are a number of things. I mean, I didn't write the Alpha course. It was written, many, many people were involved in it over the years in developing it. Uh, And I took it on in 1990. And it was already, you know, well advanced as a a course and many people had contributed to it. And again, if I'd been writing it, I wouldn't have written the Alpha course. Certainly if I'd been writing an evangelistic course, uh, I I definitely wouldn't put in much of the material that's on the Alpha course. But, But we inherited this thing. Uh, this it was a, when I took it on. It was designed for people who were, who were already Christians. But what I found was I had a, I had a small group. I mean, you know the way that Alpha works. You have a, a meal, a talk, coffee, and then small groups. And in my small group, on the second course I was involved in, I had a group of people who were from totally outside of the church, and all of them came to faith in Christ during the course. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit on the weekend away, uh, and many of them are now leaders in the church. And at that moment, I saw that this course could be used for people outside of the church. And so we, we worked on the talks and the, and the order of the talks and the way in which we ran the small groups particularly to make it more uh, appropriate for people outside of the church. And that, because there's so many more people outside of the church in this country than inside, it, it kind of began to grow quite rapidly at that point. And uh, I think there are a number of things about it. And one of the things is about the way that the small groups operate in the sense that it's a conversation. 
And I think in the modern world, it, this uh, just sort of preaching at people mm. uh, doesn't quite work in the same way that perhaps it did a hundred years ago. Uh, but a conversation and listening and um, uh, exploring together is something that I think is, is very important, particularly for young people. And the average age of the people on the course is 27. 75% of them are aged between 18 and 35 on our course here. Uh, so I think that that part of it was was a, a, a gift. Uh, and secondly, um, the weekend on the Holy Spirit, which again I would never have put into a course for people who are um, outside of the church. But... Uh, it's the experience, I think, of the love of God, that the Holy Spirit being poured into our hearts is, is God giving us an experience of his love for us. And I think experience is very important for, for young people today. They want not just to know that Christianity is true, but is it real? Does it work? You know, is it something that I can experience in my life? Um, so, in fact, the person who, who, who heads up Alpha in North America said, the, the, the questions that young people are asking today is not, is it true? They don't want to open your head and see a lot of facts, but they want to open your heart and see, is it real? Does it work for you? Mm-hmm. And the, the other question they want to know is, do you like me? And therefore, does your God like me? Mm-hmm. And I think what, they, what people experience... Uh, here on on Alpha Cult course anywhere is love. They experience acceptance, uh, love, respect, um, and, and that people like them. People welcome them. They 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 want to listen to them. They respect what their views are, even if they're totally different to the ones that that we hold. Uh, and I think that gives them an experience of the fact that actually God likes them. Uh, and um, so they, it's this not only they're hearing about God's love for them, but they're experiencing it. And yet the is it true question is one that you do tackle and it's quite important you do isn't it otherwise it can become you know just a kind of it is one of the preconceptions people have about alpha though isn't it that you're trying to impose a set of answers so actually to hear you talk about how that it's a very different method methodological way of getting to possible questions about how true is it it's very interesting Yes, well, I mean, we're trying to have a, a balance within it. I mean, it seems to me we live in a, a shift, a time of shifting culture from the, the modern culture, which, uh, where the, that question, is it true, is, is a very important question to a, to a more of a postmodern culture in which the question is, is it, is it real? Can I experience it? But, but nobody lives in one culture or the other. We all, we're all products of both. And therefore the question, is it true, is still a question for, even for young people. You know, they still write essays uh, which are about historical facts and so on. So I think it is important that part of the evening is a presentation. Uh, we're not simply sitting around saying, what does everybody think? There is a presentation of different aspects of the historic Orthodox Christian faith, the cross and resurrection, uh, you know, all, all the, the, the person of Jesus and, and prayer and the Bible and so on. But it's also important for us, isn't it, <clears throat> that we uh, are, that address questions of, of truth because we don't want to buy into that bit of the postmodern culture that says, well, it's just a question of whether it's true for me. Um, no. we, we think this is true for everyone. Yeah. I mean, we believe in, in the power of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to, to change people's lives. So there is a, 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 in that sense, there is a proclamation of the gospel. But at the same time, it's not a one-way conversation. 
it's um, that, that's our part of the evening where we present something and, and give something to discuss. But the second part is their part of the evening, and that's where we don't, uh, you know, we don't we listen. We're there to listen uh, and to host a conversation that takes place not between us and them, but but between all the guests discussing amongst themselves, really, uh, with us there just as a facilitator. But I think people used to think you couldn't be an evangelist unless you knew all the answers. Yes. And that it put a lot of people off trying to share their faith because they were afraid they would get a question and they wouldn't know the right answer. Yes. And, and this, again, is a very different way of doing it, isn't it? Not saying there, will, there are no answers or not saying that you don't believe that you have any answers, but, but actually in a, a conversational mode of, of being an evangelist is one that most of us could perhaps cope with. Yes, it's fascinating. I mean, it is so fascinating listening and learning from what each guest has to say. And I think that you know, the, the, those who host the small groups are there to learn as much as anybody else. And it's that sense of exploring together and saying, you know, I, I really haven't got an answer to that one, or at least I'm st- or, or I struggle with that myself. Mm-hmm. Or you know, I, that's a question I find difficult <laughs> to answer. Or uh, you know, I, 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 I am a Christian, but I'm still struggling in many areas of my life. It's just being honest. It's and reality, isn't it? It's Which reality. Is, yes, that, yeah. um, Otherwise, they probably quite rightly think it sounds too good to be true. It sounds way. glib, and it's, and it's not the reality. In reality, we all struggle with areas of our lives. And in a way, actually, maybe it doesn't help sometimes to have in a small group someone who does have the answers, or at least thinks they know the answers, because <laughs> that can be quite, quite off-putting for people who are quite tentative and who, who probably have an intuition that... A lot of these questions don't have neat, easy answers and are slightly put off by people who suggest that they do. Yes. I mean, I think we, we, if we get people who are, who've come there to preach and who know all the answers, we offer them an upgrade to the theological <laughs> <laughs> training <laughs> school. Whence we've all been shunted, obviously. But scientifically, um, you know, a good hypothesis has a number of areas that they can't yet explain, which, which gives room for kind of growth within that basic paradigm. And I think it's the same here. People are not looking for a complete total package where everything is sewn up and where there's no longer any room for exploration or mystery or whatever. They're looking for a paradigm that makes sense of who they are, where they are, and what they're for, really, I think. Yes. Um, you were saying you, um, you inherited a, a course and you thought... Um, probably is not what you would have put in if you'd been designing a course from scratch to appeal to those outside the church. Um, and I, uh, Do you feel now there are bits of it that you think, well, we could change this or we could change that, that um, if we were starting again, I'd, I'd, I'd do it differently, but we've got this and let's work with it? Or um, or is it that you've, you kind of come to feel, well, actually, you know, in a strange strange way, what we've got at the moment actually is ideal for, for, what's, um, for, for the needs of the course of people outside church? Well, I certainly don't think it's ideal. It's certainly not perfect. It's, it's, um, I, I'm very aware that obviously there are deficiencies in it. You know, nothing, nothing is perfect. And therefore, w- what we're trying to work out is what those deficiencies are. Uh, and also how it, it needs to change in order to, because the culture is changing. Uh, I mean, the message is always going to be the same, but how the packaging of that message, the illustrations, the, the way it's put across, and that changes. I mean, every time I give the talk, it's different. Because it it changes and it changes I, 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 in a way I'm kind of not that conscious of the fact that it's changing, uh, but when I look back I can see how much it has changed, and it's changed in in relation I think to what I hear in the small group, 
week by week. Um, and, you know, the way I see in which, which people, uh, are, are responding. So, for uh, just to give one example, we have, we have changed the order of the talks, uh, very recently. Um, the talk on the Bible and prayer have changed order. Uh, and I found 15 years ago, people, it was much easier to talk about the Bible than about prayer. People were not interested in prayer. That was a kind of boring subject. Uh, whereas the Bible was quite an interesting subject. Now, prayer, everybody prays. You know, the, there's, there's sort of no one has a problem with the idea of prayer. You know, spirituality is a kind of the norm almost. That uh, so that's whereas the Bible and the idea of authority is a really difficult concept in our culture, and therefore you need an, at least one week more before they're ready to hear that one. That's very interesting, and of course it must change, um, must be adapted for all the different cultures that use it because it's used all across the world. It was very interesting when we were in China, for example, people said in China you don't tell jokes as part of a, a Christian evangelistic um, effort. So, so they were very taken aback that, that people laughed sometimes in our people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think, I think that's true. I mean, obviously the cultures around the world are so different and that's why we never thought Alpha would work yeah. outside of our own culture. And we were so amazed to find it working in places like Zimbabwe or, you know, amongst the Shona-speaking people there or uh, all the different cultures around the world, India um, and China and so on. And I think, uh, of course, the cultures are very, very different. Um, Korea, I would think, would be similar. When we got to Korea, I asked the question, will people laugh? And... Um, uh, at the conference in there, I said, well, people laugh at what, what, what we call the joke. <laughs> <laughs> they, they said, no, they won't. So I said, well, you know, what do I do? Shall I, shall I leave them out? Um, and they said, no, don't leave them out because they'll smile inwardly and they'll laugh when they get home. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so um, uh, but I think actually that, that, that although it's true that, Yes, of course, all, all these cultures are very different. Uh, there's something happening in the world which is um, in some ways not such a good thing, but there is um, the Internet. Um, and as a result of, of that, uh, young people today are, are much more similar. I, I remember in Shanghai talking to a 22-year-old who was showing us around Shanghai. We spent a day with him, uh, and I, I couldn't believe he 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 listens to MTV. He he has all the same. And at the end of the day, I said to him, "What is the difference between you and a 22-year-old growing up in central London?" And he said, "Nothing except the colour of our skin." And that struck me that that there is this. Uh, and so again, a lot of these cultures, uh, of, uh, of, uh, for example, in Japan, they've they've been used to very much a culture in which uh, the teacher is the authority. And therefore, in a small group, uh, they wouldn't say anything because they would expect the teacher to speak to them. That's been such a strong thing in Japan, but not amongst young people. Young people are now um, wanting to express what they think, what they feel. And so uh, it might be very difficult to run a, a small group for older Japanese. But for young Japanese, the alpha model is something that actually works very well for their culture. You talked about how you know the, the course has evolved and adapted and changed <clears throat> as you've listened to the questions you're getting in the small groups and that kind of thing and people's views. Have your theological views changed at all 
over that process and th by hearing people's questions and, and that kind of thing, or through the whole process of Alpha. It has been a hugely yeah. enriching experience. Uh, it's just been, uh, for me, the most wonderful experience because, to our amazement, um, not only did it spread through these different cultures, but it also th spread through the different parts of the church and different denominations and so on. And uh, again, it was to our complete astonishment. In 1996, we had an invitation from Cardinal Hume to go and speak to a group of Catholics at Westminster Cathedral. Uh, and um, there were 450 Catholic priests uh, and lay people and one non-Catholic at the conference. Uh, and uh, it, the response... Uh, was absolutely fascinating. Uh, it was, it, we, we were almost quite hesitant at the time, this is 10 years ago, about doing the conference because we wondered whether some of our Protestant um, friends would, would feel strongly about it, and one or two of them did. Uh, but we felt we couldn't refuse the, the invitation. And, and one of the things we, we saw on the uh, first evening of the conference was an amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a way that... Um, uh, perhaps more strongly than we've seen at any other conference that we've been involved in. Uh, and I remember the words of in Acts 10, um, when... Cornelius. Yes, if God has given the same Holy Spirit to them, who are we to, to sort of reject what's happened? And at that moment we realized that God was, was leading us to work with uh, other, other parts of the church that perhaps we weren't so familiar with. Uh, and that has been such an enriching experience because we've learned so much from, the, from our interaction with the Catholic Church and now with the Russian Orthodox uh, Church that have been, become increasingly interested in, in Alpha and um, beginning to meet with them and try to uh, uh, understand that some of the, the wonderful things I'm sure we're going to learn from, from that. And, and the Coptic Orthodox Church, um, Bishop has been running Alpha for, for a small group of people and uh, want, wants to see that more widely spread, and, and I'm sure we'll learn a huge amount from that. Um, so the you of 15 years ago... If, if uh, that person were to meet the you now, would the you of 15 years ago be shocked at some of the things you now believe? I, I don't think that, that actually the, the sort of core, my core beliefs have changed, but I think that what, uh, what, what, what is, what's it fascinated me is to see how much of it is about a different language, mm -hmm. uh, a different emphasis, um, and um, a deeper understanding of some of the great themes of the Christian faith. So I don't think that because that, uh, at the heart of, of, of Alpha are very simple, basic Christian truths about Jesus, his death, his resurrection, um, how you develop that relationship, prayer and the Bible and the, the church and community and all these things, which, which are still there. So nothing has really changed in that sense. But uh, I mean, some of the things I just perhaps went, didn't emphasize as much and didn't see the significance of them. Uh, in talking about the church, I think maybe the when I, I talked about the universal church, uh, I, I talked about the, the church around the world rather than back in time and okay. history and yes. so on. Yes. And um, the Orthodox would put you right on that one. Yes, you? exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 just it wasn't that I didn't believe that. It's just it, I didn't sort of see the importance of emphasizing that. I mean, so to use the scientific analogy again, you know, not much science works by saying, oh, we no longer believe what we did last year. It tends to work by saying, 
what we believed last year is kind of 95% right, but actually we've got to put it in a wider context. You've got to... Uh, get, Newtonian physics is not mainly wrong. It doesn't need, it doesn't work for every situation, and you have to have Einsteinian yeah. physics yeah. to understand the wider context. And it's rather yes. like that with I think most people's growth and faith, isn't it? Yes, it, it tends to be a, yeah. a widening and a deepening. Yeah, I, I think I've come come to see that the, when when I thought of the body of Christ and the the picture in one corinthians twelve fourteen I thought of the local church, everybody has a gift uh, and and the eyes and the hands and so on, and this makes up a beautiful body within the local church uh, uh, whereas I think i hadn 't quite seen how that picture is also true of the worldwide church that uh, you know we need the Catholics, to, we need the Orthodox, we need the Pentecostals, we need the Salvation Army, um, and they may not be quite like us. It may be as different as an eye and a foot, but um, <laughs> but actually uh, we have to learn from each other. Not as, as Paul says, not to see the other person as a threat because they're not like us, mm. but to say actually we do need you. We want to learn from you, uh, and to be able to learn from the emphasis in the Salvation Army or the emphasis in the Pentecostal Church or the emphasis in a different part of the church and say, what, look at them and say, what, what can we learn from you? And also, we really value you because you are such an important part of the church and only together can we represent Jesus Christ to the world around. I was interested to ask a bit about the, um, the parts of the course that some churches find more difficult, which are the parts on the Holy Spirit, the more charismatic, if you want to use that word, aspects of it, the weekend, um, and the emphasis upon the spirit. And I guess that, you know, there are, there are people who would say, well, we, you know, we'd love to use alpha, but we're not sure about that bit. And, if, you know, is it okay if we leave that out and do something else and have another weekend, have a retreat or something like that? Um, so what, and what, how do you react to that? And, and, you know, what is the sort of why is there such an emphasis on that and, and why is that such a sort of crucial part of the course from your point of view? Well, again, if I had been writing the course, I wouldn't have had the weekend on the Holy Spirit. I certainly wouldn't have had the opportunity to receive the gift of speaking in tongues. I mean, that would no way would I have put that in, into the course. Um, but it was there. That's the course that I inherited. And that's the course we found. That's what we found worked. Um, and I've been... Uh, you know, trying to work out since why it works. You know, that's that's the the. Um, um, it's like Sandy tells the story of the university professor who was asked what he did. He said, I, "I try to explain to people why things that work perfectly well in practice can be made to work in theory." <laughs> and, and, and and that's yeah. what we've been doing with Alpha. We've been trying to work out why something that works perfectly well in practice can be made to work in theory. And I think. Um, uh, I think now, uh, I, 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 I think the, the work of the Holy Spirit, when you look at the New Testament, is absolutely crucial to the, the work of evangelism. And it was at the heart of um, the Pentecost, is at the heart of, of the New Testament. And uh, if you look at the great events, uh, the Incarnation, uh, Easter, and Pentecost, uh, traditionally we've emphasized the Incarnation. Christmas is a great festival. Easter is a great festival, the cross and resurrection, but we haven't had the same emphasis on Pentecost. Uh, and when you look at the New Testament, there is this balance between the incarnation, the cross and resurrection, and Pentecost. Uh, and I think what the course actually does, although unconsciously it just happened to be like that, is to have this balance. So the first three talks are about Jesus. 
who he is, why he died, faith in Jesus. The next three are about God the Father, our relationship with God the Father, how we relate to him in prayer, the Bible guidance. The next three are about the Holy Spirit. And I think uh, in, in that sense, it, it, it's, it, all the talks are designed to be Trinitarian, but it has a kind of Trinitarian structure. Uh, and so from a theological point of view, I, I think we, we inherited by accident something that, that had... A, had an, an important emphasis. Um, and then in practice, we found that this experience of the Holy Spirit, this this prayer, which is the most ancient prayer of the church, come Holy Spirit. Uh, and every every denomination, every tradition has some expression for it, uh, is actually a very important prayer to pray with an expectation that the Holy Spirit really will come. Uh, and uh, we saw it again this weekend that I came back from. I, I see it every time. I saw it uh, on Saturday night. We prayed that prayer, come Holy Spirit. Uh, there was a, a man in, in our group who I went to pray for who is highly intelligent, uh, educated at Harvard. Been, uh, he, he said at one stage, you know, I spent my whole life making money, and I see now it's totally meaningless. Um, and on... Saturday night, he experienced the Holy Spirit in, in an amazing way. He was on his knees, tears pouring down his face. Uh, and um, uh, he said, this, this, this is what I've been looking for all my life. There's been an, an emptiness inside, and I've been looking for this all of my life. That was on Sunday. Last night, we had our small group. And he talked about his, his experience. And he said, I went home on Sunday, and he said... I've treated my wife differently. You know, for the first time, I've seen I need. I haven't been a good husband. You know, I haven't done anything abusive. I haven't done anything. I haven't had affairs. But I just have not been a good husband. I've not treated her. And in the last three days, I have treated my wife differently. And as a result, our relationship has changed. Now that seems to me this is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not just about people having a nice, warm experience of the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit comes upon people, and then they, we change. And then you see the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in a person's life, a change in their relationships. Uh, and that's a, such an amazing thing to watch, even if it's just, even if it's just that one person. You know, the whole course is worthwhile. Mm. It's a very interesting model for theology as well, isn't it? <laughs> this idea that, in a way, theology always sort of runs in the footsteps of God. It, it, it comes after God, not, not, not before him. It's not trying to work out. Difficult to, to come before them, wouldn't it? Really, <laughs> we try sometimes. <laughs> yes, we do. Well, do. Do try to kind of you know sort of impose their ideas yep. on it. But it, yeah. but this this idea that in some ways God does something, and then th- theology is about working out what 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 is that? It's the yeah. whole idea of faith seeking understanding. You know, you suddenly find you have this thing, faith, and you try and work out what it all means. And it seems to me that's the way most of the best theology happens. I mean, the doctrine of the Trinity is is really trying to work out what do we say about God in the light of the fact that Jesus suddenly appeared um, as God among us and, and, and the Holy Spirit was, was, was there amongst the church. Now, what does that do to your, to your understanding of God? So if you like the church, you're trying to work out what we think about God about in the light of what God has, has, has done. And um, so actually there's, the, there's, there's something quite positive and good about this model, I think. And Nikki, did, did you come to faith through such an experience of the Holy Spirit? Or were you always a Christian? What happened to you? No, I wasn't brought up as a Christian. My father um, came from; it was Jewish by um, religion. Um, 
he was a German Jew who'd um, come out of Germany in the 1930s. Um, he wasn't. Um, uh, he was an assimilated Jew in the sense that that he had had been baptized, um, but didn't have a faith. He was he was an agnostic, um, and my mother was not a churchgoer, so I d- wasn't brought up uh, in that sense as a churchgoer, um, and I came to faith through really through reading the New Testament. Uh, and I read the New Testament as a, as a result of seeing what had happened to my close friend, Nikki Lee, 24 hours earlier. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, I, I, I knew nothing about it because I, no, I had no real um, background. So I decided I ought to research it. And that was, that was how I came to faith. I get very interesting reactions from people when I tell them that I'm working for HTB. And um, they, they're basically in two forms. One is um, the people who suddenly think, is it possible for the wife of the Archbishop of Canterbury to be a Christian? <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is one set of reactions. But the other set of reactions are, are, all, are faint hostility. Um, and I'm very intrigued by this always and, and, and wonder what causes that. Have you come across this suspicion and hostility about HTB as a, as a brand, as it were? Yeah, I, I'm mainly... I've come across it in, in the press rather more often than face-to-face, although occasionally it happens uh, face-to-face. I think I mean, increasingly I've found the hostility comes from outside of the church, um, from the secular world, mm. which I think uh, in this country is becoming sometimes quite hostile to the Christian faith. Yes. In the early days it was more from within the church, but I think um, over the last, um, I don't know, 12 years, I've detected a, a change in that uh, from within the church. Uh, I think in the early days, people were, they wondered what this was, and naturally, they didn't, people didn't know what it was, and maybe there was suspicion of something that was unknown. Uh, but I've found on the whole now, uh, people are less hostile because I think they, they've experienced more. Um, I think some bishops, for example, who in the early days might have been suspicious, have done confirmation services and asked candidates how they come to be confirmed. And when people say, well, I went on an Alpha course and, and speak about what happened to them, inevitably it, it changes perceptions. Mm-hmm. And I think a certain amount of that has gone on over the years, together with people a- actually looking at what at what we we teach, because there's, there's a, I think in the early days people had a had a different idea of, of what was said on the course from what was actually said on the course, and I think um, uh, it's like it's like in the in the small group on Alpha, uh, this small group on Alpha, there was one man who was um, uh, really attacking the Bible, uh, and one of our helpers who, who's just come to faith himself said, you know, I, he said, you know, I used to attack the Bible. He said when he came on the course six months ago, he said, I used to attack the Bible. And then I thought, you know, the Bible is the only book I attack without ever having read. <laughs> and, um, um, and, um, and he challenged his friend, you know, why don't you read the thing that you're criticizing? And I think well, that's what we always say to people who, 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 who are not unnaturally um, suspicious or whatever, uh, come and see, you know, just, just have a look at the material and, you know, maybe go on a course and uh, hopefully, when, if you do that, you'll see that, it, that, that perhaps it's different from, from what, how you perceived it. And people think that it's only for um, the middle classes, don't they? 
Um, uh, it's that, in your experience, does it work in other kinds of settings? Well, again, I mean, people think that, but you could only think that if you were um, in the UK for a start. Mm. I mean, anywhere else in the world, it's so obvious that that's not the case. Um, and even in the UK, I think once it started running in the prisons, yeah. uh, you know, in 1994, uh, it started running in the prisons, and it's now running in 85% of the prisons in this country. Um, there are 80,000 people in prison, and I think nearly 60,000 overall in the last, um, obviously there, there are more than that who've been through prison in the last 10 years, but 60,000 men and women have done it in prison. Um, and I think uh, once people look at that, they can see that it's not just operating in, in, in middle-class areas. It's operating right across the spectrum. Again, to our amazement, we would never have expected that. We certainly found it was operating in Wales, in places that were very far from middle-class. Oh, that's interesting. Very interesting. Great. Well, I think we're uh, drawing near to the end of our time. So... Um, Thank you very much, Nikki, for joining us today. Oh, thank you. It's a privilege to be with you. Amazing. And thank you, Jane, again, and Mike. Thank you. And uh, we'll be back again in a few weeks' time with another Godpod. I feel that the listeners should know the colour of Mike's hand. <laughs> what colour are they? <laughs> yeah, I, I had a fight with my bicycle chain. My chain oh, fell yeah. off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wesley would say. But was your heart free? <laughs> <laughs> That was GodPod, a podcast from the St. Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.